Good morning, church. So good to see you guys this morning. Well, if you will, make your way over to Acts chapter 3 in your Bibles this morning. As we continue in our study of Acts chapter 3, we will be finishing off this chapter this morning. Um, So if you're there... Maybe I should stall just a little longer. Still hear some pages rustling. But we're in Acts chapter 3. We will begin in verse 12 where we left off last week. Now we'll read to the end of the chapter. Verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just." Ask for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets and the Christ, that the Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the uh, the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God, or the Lord, your God, will rise up for you, raise up for you a prophet like me. From your brethren, him, you shall, you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets, from Samuel to those Uh, who followed, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. To in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Last week, I alluded to the fact that that we saw the apostles going to the temple in the time of prayer. And what I was sharing with you was the fact that that even though now they are now have have now become the church, the church has now started. That, that they were still kind of doing some religious duties in that they were going to, to temple when it was time to go pray. That's the way they had, gone, they had been raised. Even though they are now no longer, well, they are still Jews, but they are now in Christ, they are still going to the temple on a regular basis to do their duties or their rituals, whatever they were accustomed to doing. Now, most of these guys who had started the church all came from from Jewish backgrounds, if not all of them. 
All of them were, were, were part of, came out of Judaism, if you will, and they were still associating a lot of their lives with Judaism. And so, again, going to, to, to the temple to pray was not out of the ordinary. It wasn't unusual for them to go do. They were still part of that. And I bring that up again, as I did last week, because what we will see and hear this morning in our text, as we've already kind of read through it, is the fact that that a lot of this, what Peter now preaches, because he's preaching the second sermon here, if you will, what he is, is doing, he is speaking directly to Jewish people and about the nation of Israel as a whole. Now, that doesn't mean that we cannot grab stuff from this, you know? The, the worst thing we want to do is say, say, well, that doesn't apply to me. That applies to the Jewish people. It's not for me today. We never want to be those types of people because the Word of God is, is in principle, we, we grab all the principles from the Word of God, whether he's talking to the Jewish people, whether he was just talking to the Corinthians, whether he was talking to the, to the Galatians, whatever the case is, when we're reading the Word of God, all of those principles still apply to us, even though he's talking to a particular people. Because there are times when we're reading the Word of God that he is just going right after a particular people. And we, we would be, it would be so easy for us to go, well, I'm glad he's not talking to me about that. <laughs> but oftentimes he is directly talking to us. Because the Word of God is there for our example. We can glean a lot from the Word of God. Even if he's talking to the Jewish people directly and about their customs and about the type of religion that they were in. Now, I need to say, again, as a church, as a people, as a church, let's just say that, we, we do not adhere to, nor are we into replacement theology. And that is to say that, that the church has replaced the nation of Israel. I, I think there's a lot of Christians that have done that, a lot of churches that have done that, that say, well, Israel's done. He is now dealing with the church, which is kind of true, that God has now started dealing with the church, and it's kind of put Israel on the back burner, but God is not done with Israel, guys. He still speaks to them. He still ministers to them. In whatever capacity He does it today, He does it. And so we are not into replacement theology. We don't take over, although, you know, because again, some of the prophecies, some of the promises, some of the dealings that, he, that God says in his word are directed towards the people. But as the church, we just kind of tag along. <laughs> and and we, get, we get to, to, to enjoy some of the promises that he has made to the Jewish people because he's made the same promises to the church. And so we're not taking over the Jews. That's a different thing, man. God's, God's going to deal with them. He is not done with them, but we can always learn from what he teaches them. What we really didn't really touch on last week that I really wanted to, and I just didn't have time, was the fact that, that we're talking about this lame man who was healed, right? Who, who, who these guys were going into the temple. They see this guy. They, Peter puts himself out there once again and raises this guy up. And we can identify with this lame man in, in the sense that we can picture ourselves people who are poor, who are lame, who are helpless and hopeless until Jesus touches our lives. Because it wasn't things that this man needed. He was begging for alms. But God knew he needed salvation and he needed a healing. And instead of giving him alms, he gave him a touch. And in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And so we can identify with that because God has touched us. We thought we needed this world, but the world offered us nothing really in return. We needed a touch from Jesus and now we can stand, we can walk, we can leap and praise God. Amen. So in verse 12, as we pick it up here, we, we saw that in verse 11, this lame man has now walked into the temple with Peter and, and John. And it's interesting because he was basically unclean, 
And yet he walks into the temple area, not into the Holy of Holies or into the holy place, uh, but, but outside where, where the men would, would be able to gather. And he has walked in with them, kind of unannounced, and yet he is hanging all over them. And so the people are greatly amazed because they all knew who this poor lame man was. And they saw him going in and associating with Peter and John. And so when Peter sees this, it says in verse 12, when he saw that, he responded to the people. And so being greatly amazed, all the, he, I love the fact that Peter, he, he sees what's going on and he quickly responds to it. Now, I'm sure people were pointing. I'm sure people were looking. I'm sure people were just amazed and in awe of what's just happened. And he's, they are looking at Peter and John as these healers. I mean, the guy was hanging all over them. <laughs> and all the focus was on them. They had become the center of attention, the main attraction. In other words, Peter and John, it seems like, have taken center stage. And, and isn't that kind of easy to do? When, when God uses you in a particular way to think like you had something to do with it, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I, I like to brag. <laughs> I'm a bragger. <laughs> when, when God uses me in any way possible, it's like, heck yeah, I was right there. So it's easy to take center stage when, when you know that you did nothing except be a vessel. <laughs> you were just available. And yet, it's so easy for us to do when, when somebody is used in such a powerful way that we can hang on to somebody like that, and all of a sudden, they become a rock star in our eyes. Christian rock star, of course. And there are many. There are many who, who, who have been used of the Lord, and yet they've become, they've had, they, they now have the status of being used. And we're all guilty, I think a lot of us are, of looking at people who just happened to be used of the Lord. Now, I could guarantee you most of those people that we look up to, that we look at and going, man, oh man, and we follow and we do this and we do that, and that's not, not, not bad, bad at all. I, I just think that most of those guys, they started off innocently enough going, Lord, here I am, Lord, use me. If you can use me in any way, shape, or form, Lord, use me. And people start seeing that and they start going, man, I want to follow that guy. Because that guy's amazing. Man, I want to be like him. And guys, I, I, there's so many people in my life that I wanted to be like. And I remember I got, I, some, some, one of the sisters in the Lord years ago, she goes, Zeke, just be yourself. It's like, why should I just be myself? I want to be like that cat, you know? I want to be like that guy, man, because that guy can preach it. That guy can do it. And it's like, just be who you are. Just be who God called you to be. Because honestly, a lot of these guys who, who all of a sudden have all these people following them in, in, in different shapes, manner, or forms, I think sometimes they begin to think that they are something special as well. They begin to, they begin to believe their press releases, if you will, of what others are saying about you. Now, granted... The Bible does say, hey, let somebody else praise you and not your own lips. I get that. But we need to be careful that we are not raising some of these people up and looking at them as if they were the ones that have done the work. And, and again, that's, that's what happens to some of these guys. They end up thinking, man, without me, this church cannot function. Without me, these kinds of ministries wouldn't be being done. Without me, all these hundreds of thousands of millions of people would never have gotten saved. It's like, really? God could use the donkey to do all that. But they begin to, to think more highly of themselves than they ought to instead of understanding the grace that has been poured out to them. And again, man... <laughs> I'm the type of guy that when I'm studying the Word and I start reading about guys, man, I, I, I want to follow them. I want to invest in them. I want to I get to know them. I want them to be my besties, you know, whether it's Paul or Luke or whoever, you know. I, it's like, man, I want to be like this. And it's like, no, Zeke, just be who you are. 
Just be who you are. None of us ought to want to take center attention because all that belongs to the Lord. And that's so easy to do, guys. When God begins to use us and we think that we have done it all. And so Peter, seeing this, he says, he responds, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you marvel at this? I like the fact that Peter, he understood what was going on. He saw it. And basically begins to take the focus off of them, him and Peter, or him and John. And he tells the people, how, why, why are you marveling? How, how could you? Why would you marvel? As if we have made this happen today. The word marvel means to admire. Have an admiration and wonder. Now it doesn't sound all that bad. To marvel. Because the word admire can mean to esteem or respect and appreciate. Again, it doesn't sound bad at all to admire somebody or, or respect them. But it becomes bad when that person begins to take the credit. <laughs> now again, if somebody says, hey man, thank you, God used you in a powerful way, thank you, without you my life wouldn't be, there, there's nothing wrong with saying, well, thank you. And then go and turn around going, that was yours, Lord. <laughs> that was all yours. Lord, I don't want to take any of this. I, I, I know there's people who's like, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. And sometimes, man, that's just so phony. Because they know, man, if they're braggers like me, man, they're going to turn around going, yeah. Heck yes. Mm. Sounded really holy, man. <laughs> Not me. It was the Lord. It was false humility. <laughs> that's what that, that is. There's nothing wrong with understanding that and then turning around going, Lord, thank you for using a fool like me. Thank you, Lord. So he says, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power and godliness we have made this, this man walk? The, the intensity of the crowd must have been so intense that they looked at them intently. I mean, they just focused on them. But Peter understood that he had done nothing except to be used of the Lord. And, and, and I would put it like this. He was just at the right place at the right time, and he was just willing he, he was going to go pray. He wasn't going to go heal. I don't think he had prepared any of this. Except for the, that time that now he looks at this guy and he puts himself out there for some reason. For some reason, he just locked eyes with this guy and all of a sudden he began to speak and he was in. And that guy was in. And God was about to do something. And I don't think Peter was in a place of going, man, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to. He was only the tool. He was only the instrument or the vessel that day that, that God just so happened to use because he was ready. Whether he knew he was ready or not. But he says, you think it was by our own power? <laughs> by our own godliness? <laughs> it was none of that. Peter's not that godly. <laughs> and he's not that powerful. Just like you and I, we're not that godly. We're not that powerful. And I think sometimes we think we are. But it wasn't Peter. And it wasn't Jesus. Or it wasn't John. <laughs> Nor is it us when we are being used. If we truly want to be a vessel. If we truly want to be an instrument. If we want to be used of the Lord. Then we just open ourselves up and we know that it's God, not us. And we understand that. We understand that when we say, Lord, here am I, use us, or use me, that he's going, okay, if you're available, <laughs> I could use somebody like you. But it can't be you. It has to be me in you, doing the work. And I think that's what Peter totally understood at this point. 
even with all that had happened and all the attention that was being paid to them, these guys were not thinking that they were all that. They were not going to start their own ministry after their name. (laughs) They weren't going to do anything like that. If anything, they were thinking soberly. They were thinking with a right mind and putting things in perspective. Because he, he turns around and he says, you think we made this guy walk? <laughs> Never in a million years can I make this guy walk. He hasn't walked for 40 years. What makes you think that I knew exactly what was wrong with that guy? I've never even talked to the guy before. <laughs> I'm no doctor, but I know that his bones are like set in like that. And his tendons and his ligaments have not moved in a long time. I'd be a fool to pick this guy up. To think that in my own power I can say, hey, you get up and walk right now, bro. He does it, man. He totally understands and puts things in perspective to say it wasn't nothing of us because we could never have done this. And so now he, he pivots, if you will. He shifts, if you will, the attention and the perspective on the one who made all of this happen. Because in verse 13, he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, and you're going to hear that a lot, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. He has glorified his servant, Jesus. And this is where Peter's Jewish roots come in. Again, he he cannot disown that. He might be in Christ now, but he is still Jewish. (laughs) He is still understanding the culture that he comes from. He's not that far away from it. It's not like he's been walking with the Lord for 40 years and that's so long gone. He's been with Jesus three and a half years. Let's just say four years into this, and he still remembers Guys, I I am still a Jew. I still understand the God of our fathers. And it is is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who has done all of this through his son, Jesus Christ, his servant. And so again, his, his roots have come out. And he's talking to a people. He's talking to a group of people that understand who the God of their fathers is. These people understood who the God of their father was. They knew the stories. They knew the scriptures. And Peter would be equating Jesus to the God of their fathers. This is what's going to blow their minds. It was the God of their fathers that was behind what had just happened. He, the God of their fathers, has just glorified His servant, Jesus. And now the Jewish people knew about this suffering servant. They they knew who this was. They knew the stories. They knew the book of Isaiah. They understood that their Messiah would be a suffering servant. They understood that. And when he says that the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, they understood that he's talking about the Messiah. And Peter has just put a name to the Messiah, Jesus. The wonderful name of Jesus. He he puts a name on it. In Isaiah 52, verses 13 and 14, he says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Verse 14, Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than than the sons of man. Everyone knew that portion of Scripture spoke of the Messiah and how he would suffer. How he would be totally deformed, if you will. They would totally jack him up in such a way that it would be hard to recognize that he was was a, a man. 
And I love the fact that he says, man, it's the God of our fathers who has done this. And, and, and he, God has glorified his servant, and it was Jesus. And, he did, and then he, he kind of pivots again, but he's on the roll, right? He says, whom you delivered up, whom you denied in the presence of, of Pilate. Dang. <laughs> He blames them, the people that he's talking to, he blames them for the death of the Christ. He blames them for the, the death of their Messiah. It was rightfully put on them because they were the ones who delivered him up. They were the ones who denied him. In the very presence of Pilate, they were the ones that were either in the inner circle or part of the mob that was yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. This is just probably a couple months back that they have done all this and they're, they're hearing him speak because they're in and around Jerusalem where all of this has taken place. And they've been, all these other guys, they've been doing their religious duties faithfully. I could guarantee you most of them were there on the day of Pentecost and they were the ones that were mocking and maybe not the ones that, that accepted, not part of the 3,000, but he's talking to a big, large group again. And he is letting them have it because, hey, this is the God, this is the Messiah that was sent and you killed him. You, you shouted out, crucify him. Again, he reminds them, do you remember Pontius Pilate was doing everything in his power to let this guy go, but you guys couldn't let it go. He found no fault in him. And you guys insisted, and he succumbed to the pressures of the religious leaders and the crowd, and he listened to them. Because he says, you have denied him, you, you, you delivered him, you denied him. And, 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 and he says in verse 14, and you denied the Holy One, the just. You denied the Holy One and the just. Peter goes from calling Jesus a suffering servant to calling him holy, the holy one, the just one. And all of, these all of these guys knew who the holy one was. He knew that he was attributing this name of Jesus, the, 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 the servant, he was now equating him as the holy one and the just, and they all knew who that was. They knew that the God of their fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is God Almighty, Elohim. That he was the only Holy One in Israel. Peter is telling them that by denying Jesus, you denied the God of our fathers. You denied the Holy One. I like the way the Amplified puts that verse. He says, but you denied and rejected and disowned the pure and holy, the just and blameless one. Now some might say to Peter, I wouldn't say such things if I were you. <laughs> Peter, you better be watching your back from here on out, man, because you can't be saying stuff like that, Pete. But this is that newfound boldness that we've been talking about. Ever since the, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, Peter does not fear. I love that we were singing that song that I, I, I'm no longer a servant of fear. I'm a child of God. And I love the fact that, that again, the Holy Spirit has come upon Peter and Peter doesn't have a sense of fear in him anymore. It seems like, for, for, for lack of a better word, this guy is in indestructible, man. He's just going for it. I could care less. You kill me, you kill me. I don't care. This guy is so bold right now that he is telling these guys, you killed him. You guys are the ones that delivered him. You denied him and you have killed him. And so he shifts the attention on, on those where, where it belongs, those who, quite frankly, had done this to Jesus, to the one. Pilate found no fault in him because there was no fault in him. It's interesting because Pilate's wife, if you remember, she even tells Pilate, hey, have nothing to do with this just man. And they all knew that there was only one just man. 
or just one, and that was God. And the people that were standing before Peter had asked for a murderer in exchange for Jesus. They asked for one who had taken a life instead of the one that gives life. So Peter then puts them in the same category as Barabbas, a killer, a murderer. When he says to them, in verse 15, and killed the prince of life. (laughs) He's not winning anybody over right now, it seems like. You. Can you imagine if I'm pointing at all you guys? All you guys killed Jesus. Right? Putting you in the same category as a murderer. You killed the prince of life. Now, some would say to Peter even, Peter, you shouldn't be offending people. Just like people would say that even today to some pastors, to some churches. You guys really shouldn't be talking too much about sin because it really turns people off. You shouldn't be talking to people about them being sinners and their need for repentance because they either won't come to your church or they will leave your church. And I would have to say that the Bible, the Bible is not here for us to make us feel good. It's here to convict us of sin. It is the Word of God and His kindness to even show us that we're sinners that draws us to repentance. Most of the time, when we're talking to people, it, it, it takes talking about sin, their sin. Not that, they, that, that you're laying something new on them. They know, for the most part, that they are sinners. And when you can show in the Word of God that this is who you are, because this Word is a mirror, it shows us how bad we are. It truly does. Peter has shown these Jewish people that the God of their fathers has glorified Jesus. And I love the progression of titles that, that, that Peter gives these guys. First, he calls them the glorified, or the glorified, yeah, the glorified servant, Jesus. Then he calls them the Holy One and the just. And then he calls them the Prince of Life. And these people understood that the God of their fathers would send the Messiah, the Deliverer, their salvation. And Peter is making the case that he sent sent Jesus, but you rejected, you denied, and you killed the Messiah. Again, he is hitting them hard. (laughs) What is associated with the name Prince of Life is the author of life the pioneer of life, the guide of life, all life. In other words, it boils down to Jesus being the source of life. And these Jews, they knew who the source of life was, and it was the God of their fathers. And Peter is saying that Jesus is the source of life. And you killed him, (laughs) But I love the fact that he just doesn't leave it there. He says, but God raised him from the dead. There's a quote that I read from Lloyd Ogilvy in his commentary about regarding the Prince of Life. It says, quote, It means author, the one who is the instigator, who takes the lead, but most of all, who is the first occasion of everything, the uncreated creator, the unmovable mover, the uncaused cause. It was through Jesus that all things were made. And Jesus was not only the cause of salvation, through the cross, he became our salvation. I love that. Peter says, 
But God raised him to the, from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Peter and the rest who were there with him were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Well, they were witnesses of the death and of the resurrection. But he was also the recipient of what came from that, and that is salvation. Not only did he receive salvation, but he received the promise of the Father also, which was the Holy Spirit. And there's such a boldness in this man now that nothing will be able to stop him until he dies. He will continue going. In verse 16, it says, And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness and the presence in the presence of you all. The power of the name of Jesus had become so real to Peter and John that day. They had never had to use faith like this before because they had Jesus face to face. They had never really used the name of Jesus in faith, but today they did. <laughs> and whoa, things happened. There was power in the name. And it wasn't Peter who had to muster up this kind of power. It, it, it wasn't Peter who had to muster up this kind of godliness. He understood who he was. He knew who he was, and he had no power, and he had no godliness. But he understood something, that he remembered the words that Jesus said. And by faith, through faith, he understood Jesus did what he said he would do. He trusted that. Again, it's, it's like you read this and you're going, well, how come I don't have that faith? But he's giving you the, the measure of faith like he gave Peter. It's a gift. You can't even muster up the faith that you have. The Bible says that he gives us the gift of faith. He, he, he does it all. We just get to go along for the ride and say, hey, I'll put myself out there. I'll trust what he has said. I'll believe it. I'll die for it if I have to. Peter says that it was the faith that comes through him. And because of that, it was as if Jesus was right there in their presence with his power doing the miracle right in front of them. But it's interesting, he needed a hand. He needed a spokesman and he needed a hand up. And Peter says, I'm a tool. <laughs> I'll be a huckleberry. I'll be the one. I'll be the, I'll be the instrument. I'll be the vessel, Lord. Use me. And he puts himself out there. Again, did he know he was in the right place at the right time? No. He had walked through that path many, many, many times. That guy had been there for almost 40 years. Nobody's ever talked to him. Maybe he's flipped him a little coin or something. <laughs> Caught the coin. And yet in verse 17, he says, Yet now. Brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. I love the fact, again, that Peter, he talked, he's talking to this group, and he knows that they're a bunch of Jewish people. I love the fact that he still calls them brethren. He identifies with them, going, I am one of you. I, I, I'm not that far removed from being on that side yelling, crucify him, crucify him. I'm not that far removed. <laughs> Forty couple months earlier, man, I was denying him. He knew who he was. And I love the fact that even though he's hitting them pretty hard with the sermon, he is still identifying with them. And I love the fact that Peter didn't leave these people without hope. It would be as if you were out there preaching, saying, the wages of sin is death. And you don't finish off that scripture. And all of a sudden, you're just telling people, you're dying, you're dying, you're dying, you're dying. 
without giving them hope. Oh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's the hope. That's what Peter is doing right here. He's saying, you guys killed them. You know that Messiah that we've all read about? You killed him. <laughs> he could have walked away and going, all you guys, go to hell. All you guys. Right? All you guys. do. I, I could care less because you guys killed my Jesus. You guys don't love him like I love him. See, we have that mentality as well. Been there many a times <laughs> where I can look at people and be like, guess I won't see you in heaven. You know, and you walk about like going, man, I, I'm something special because I found out that other part that I'm not telling you about. Guys, Peter is such an example here going, man, you guys are the worst people because you guys killed the Messiah. And then he, he kind of goes, yet now, brethren. <laughs> yet now, brethren. <laughs> he didn't leave them without hope. And it's almost like he's, he's defending them. Going, you guys did it ignorantly. You guys were just going with the mob, man. You guys weren't even thinking for yourselves. You guys weren't even willing to be open-minded to see if this guy truly is the Christ. Because he, he checked off every box, but because of the religious leaders and their hatred for him, that you guys have turned from him as well. So you did it ignorantly. And it's interesting because the Old Testament law made a difference between deliberate sin and sins of ignorance. The defiant sinner, he would be condemned, but the person who sinned unwillingly or unwittingly, not deliberately, he had the opportunity to repent and seek God's forgiveness. I love that the Apostle Paul in 1, Peter, or 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul writing, he says, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecuted, an insolent man, yet I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And if we know Peter, or Paul's life, is like, Paul, you knew exactly what you were doing. You were persecuting the church because you hated Jesus and you hated everything about him. But it just reminds me of when Jesus was hanging on the cross, being crucified. That he cries out and he says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And you're thinking, you're kidding me. These, these guys are professional crucifiers, man. They know exactly what they're doing. And it's as if he's saying, if they knew who I truly was, they wouldn't have done any of this. Now, even if you sin ignorantly, you still have to repent. And we see the mercy and the grace of God. He says in verse 18 again, that it was foretold by all the fathers, by all the prophets, it was foretold that the Christ must suffer. <laughs> the bad thing is they were the ones that fulfilled that prophecy. It's almost like you're the ones that these prophets were talking about. You guys are it. And yet in verse 19, he says this to them. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Let me read you verses 19, 20, and 21 out of the Amplified. I love it. It says in verse 19, So repent. Change your mind and purpose. Turn around and return to God that your sins may be erased, blotted out, wiped clean. That the time of refreshing, of covering from the effects of heat, of reviving with fresh air may come from the presence of the Lord. Verse 20, and that he may send to you the Christ, the Messiah, who before was designated and appointed for you, even Jesus, verse 21, whom heaven must receive and retain until the time of the complete restoration of all that God spoke by the mouth of all his holy prophets of past age, ages past, from the most ancient times in the memory of man. 
These guys are being encouraged by Peter, who has just told them, you guys are all guilty. He is, being, he is encouraging them to have a change of heart, mind, and purpose. And that is what repent means. To have a, a change of heart, mind, and purpose. And turn from the way that you're going and turn to God. Because He's willing to receive you. That's grace and mercy, people. He is willing to receive you. That your life might be transformed, basically. When he says these phrases of times of refreshing, sending Jesus, and the times of restoration, he is basically speaking to the nation of Israel as a whole. That, that's what these three, mean, these three verses mean. He wasn't talking to them directly, individually. He's talking generally. The times of refreshing, sending Jesus, and the times of restoration meant that if the nation of Israel would have repented that day, Jesus would have came back for the second coming. Just like he spoke about in Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 through 14. We just covered that this last Thursday. But the nation didn't repent as a whole. And so that didn't happen. But as individuals, those who repented, those who were converted that day, they understood what it meant to be refreshed. They understood what it meant for Jesus coming into their lives through the Holy Spirit. They understood that they were now restored personally. Because even though as a nation that never happened and it won't happen until the, the return of Christ, Individual Jews can be saved day after day after day after day. And so from verses 22 to the end of the chapter, the emphasis here is on the prophets who had announced the coming of the Messiah. All these people were aware of all these prophets. And so he, he quotes from Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 15, and 19. He reminding them that Moses said that there would be a prophet that would be just like him, that would be a deliverer that would come. That prophet would be the Messiah. And by not obeying the Messiah, not, not hearing this prophet, there would be condemnation for them. And he goes on and he says in verse 24, Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel to those who followed, as many as have spoken, have foretold of these days. You see, Moses wasn't the only one that talked about a prophet coming, about the Messiah coming. They all foretold Jesus' coming. I don't have time to look up or to go back to, to Luke chapter 24, but, but take some time to read, read, read chapter 24. When Jesus is talking to the guys from the road of Emmaus, at the end, he reminds them that all the prophets talked about this. Right before he ascends up to heaven, he reminds his disciples, hey guys, all the prophets said that I should suffer. All of them, every last one of them. They all foretold these days. And what Peter is talking about in these days, he's talking about the days of Jesus' life and ministry. That he himself, God's prophet, walked among them and he spoke to them and he offered them the kingdom of heaven. And many of them had rejected him while he walked on the earth, but they're getting another chance. Isn't that awesome? They were guilty. They were guilty. These guys were the sons of the prophets and of the covenant. And they were guilty because they had continued to reject. When God called Abraham, he gave Abraham an unconditional covenant that through him and his descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed back in Genesis chapter 3. This promise was fulfilled when Jesus Christ came into the world through the nation of Israel, through the nation of Israel, because the nation of Israel, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because Messiah came through him and he died for the sins of the world and we are blessed because of that. Isn't that awesome? And so this last chapter, when he says, to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you 
in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Peter did not allow, did not let this national blessing be overshadowed by a personal responsibility of responding to the gospel. God raised up Jesus and sent him to each one of those people who were willing to repent. Oh, he sent them for all of them, but for those who repented, they became sons of God that day. National repentance depends on personal repentance. As a whole, the United States may never repent, but there's a lot of people out there that are repenting day in and day out. And we might not be able to change the nation, but we can change our neighbor. We can be there for our neighbor. We can be there for the people around us, guys. I love the fact that Peter was addressing a large crowd, yet he still made the application very personal, as it should be. Amen? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, so much, Lord God, for reminding us, Lord God, of who we once were. Again, Lord, we, we, we can identify with the crowd that, that Peter was talking to, Lord. We can identify with these people who are so far away from you, Lord, and yet one day somebody was willing to tell us the truth about our sin. Your Holy Spirit convicted us because of it, Lord. And even though, Lord, we were part of the crowd <clears throat> that rejected you and denied you, we thank you that you gave us another chance, Lord, to repent. And I pray that, Lord, if there is someone here this morning who continually rejects Christ, they might put on a good show, Lord God, but they continually reject Christ, their Messiah, their salvation. I pray that this morning, Lord God, their hearts would be broken that you give them another chance to turn, to repent, to have a change of heart and mind and purpose. Lord, please, please do that work, Lord. Change people, Lord. Lord, for us as believers, Lord God, oftentimes we can get caught up in our own religiosity, Lord. Please forgive us for that, Lord. Remind us, Lord, of where we once came from, Lord. It doesn't matter how long we've been walking with you. Remind us that we're not that far away from the world, Lord, even though you've changed us miraculously. I thank you, Lord God, for giving us a chance. Lord, help us not to blow that chance, Lord, and make the most of it, to be willing to convey this message to others, Lord. We bless you. We thank you, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys, man.